It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 560 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, September 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Lockdown Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We have, uh, if you're a fantasy basketball fan, Josh Lloyd is releasing all of his team previews. I did a preview with him yesterday, and that should be out later uh, this week, on the Raptors and their fantasy prospects for this season. Uh, if you're a fantasy football fan, obviously you can check out the Lockdown NFL fantasy shows too. And then if you're a football fan getting ready for the first week of the season, make sure you're tuning in to your team's Locked On show on Wednesday because it's Crossover Wednesday. Every Wednesday, all of the podcasts of the teams that are playing each other do a little crossover episode, preview the game from all angles, and it's a great way to get acquainted with the opponents on every Sunday in the NFL. So make sure you're checking all of that out and subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the places you get your shows. All right, on today's show, no Raptors talk today. It's uh, I think this is a little bit of Raptors because Nick Nurse is involved, but Team Canada played their second game at the FIBA World Cup and lost their second game at the FIBA World Cup and are now officially eliminated from the FIBA World Cup, at least their prospects of winning it. They still have some games to play out, which I'm sure will be totally sad. Um, And joining me all the way from China, covering the games uh, out there for DAZN, and he's a member of NBA Canada as well, the managing editor over there, it's Carlin Gay. Carlin, how are you, man? Appreciate you having me on, Sean. And uh, you, you said what episode five sixty? Congratulations! You, that's a long time for one podcast to be going. So you guys are doing a great job. I, I'm sure you probably didn't do every single podcast up to this point, but you definitely took about five hundred sixty takes to get it right the first time, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, people know me. I can barely speak the language. Uh, I, I I screw up all the time. Um, yeah, no, 560. I've done about 555 of them. I think our pal Vivek Jacobs stepped in a couple times, but yeah, man, it's uh, old AC Green over here. Yeah, uh, I'll, uh, keep it up. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to have the title to sort of uh, make it all worth it. I don't know where we go from here, but uh, I guess Canada basketball is the answer, and mm. not exactly thrilling stuff. Canada loses today, 92 69. Uh, and it was not awesome. They were outplayed pretty significantly by Lithuania. This comes on the tail of their loss in the opener of the tournament where they led by one going into the fourth quarter against Australia, and now they face the very weird and convoluted back route to qualifying for the 2020 Olympics after uh, ensuring they will not get out of their group at the World Cup. Carlin, man, I'm guessing you watched this game today. Uh, What were your thoughts on the game? Where did it go wrong for Canada? Uh, And just how bad did you feel for the guys out there? Because they just, to me, felt terribly, terribly overmatched. Yeah, and and you know what? It's it's really no surprise. I mean, you have to give credit to the bunch that's out there. 
They obviously played as hard as they could. But the one issue that they had going up against both Lithuania and Australia is that their bigs just couldn't match up with the bigs that Lithuania and Australia have. And mm-hmm. at the guard position, I think they're like for like. They could be fine. And obviously, Matthew Delavadova played out of his mind uh, in the game against Australia. And that normally doesn't happen. But Patty Mills might be a, a class above. But, uh, you know, Kevin Pangos, Corey Joseph, they could hold their own against those type of guys. Kelnidis for Lithuania has been around for a very long time, and he's just a steady point guard. I, I would take, you know, Corey Joseph and, and Kevin Pangos over him any day of the week. But when you come to the bigs, Ken Birch is really the only big that uh, that can handle, uh, you know, the size and the power that Valanciunas presents. Bogut, who's a different style matchup, presents. Aaron Baines presents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabonis for Lithuania presents. And then after that, it's, it is a gap of talent uh, when you when you don't have Ken Birch on the floor, and it, it showed up. You know, they, they really got pounded on the glass in both games, and um, you know, it, physically, and they, they really got pushed around the court for the most part. And in FIBA, you you know, when you're playing the world game, it is a physical game. It's almost you got to buckle up. You know, you, you got to put the chin trap on and go to work. Uh, you know, you're you're not going to be able to get uh, easy looks at the rim if you're penetrating. Uh, you're not going to be able to get over screens easily. And that's what Lithuania and Australia, uh, no matter who has played for their country over the years, that's what they present. They're happy to make it a grind, the physical game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Canada stuck around in, uh, against Lithuania. They were within 10 in the first half. But after a while, you know, it's like body punches in boxing. It, it just wears you down. Uh, and Lithuania was able to impose their will. And as you said now, the, the, the road to next year's olympics is tough uh yeah, but it's doable you know mm-hmm. it is still doable uh so even though they have lost the first two games they won't win the world cup there's still a lot on the line and i think that's what people have to kind of understand and hopefully the team understands because it's easy to feel down for yourself realizing that you're now playing the classification games but those classification games with the new fiba setup are very important mm-hmm. especially if you're still trying to make the olympics next year The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, we'll get to the path forward for Canada in just a sec. I want to stick on the game today just uh, for a minute here before we get to that because that is a very convoluted thing that we will have to dedicate a little bit of time to and just sort of explanation to. Um, In terms of the game today, Nick Nurse decided to go small against Lithuania, which I thought was... uh, Interesting and kind of reeked of the desperation this roster sort of uh, required from him. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have Sabonis and Valanciunas in the front court, maybe going small is not the thing you would first think to do. Um, Nick Nurse obviously is not afraid to try stuff out, and he decided to start Melvin Edgem in the front court next to Ken Birch. And they got absolutely pummeled on the glass. It was 46 27, I believe, in total rebounding. I think uh, Lithuania grabbed as many defensive rebounds as Canada grabbed rebounds total, and Lithuania outboarded them on the offensive glass 19 9. What did you think of Nurse's coaching in this game? I, I don't really know even what to take from Nurse as like a coach from this tournament. Obviously, it's like the exact extreme of what he was handed with the Raptors when he got the job and they just go get Kawhi Leonard. He has this like team that's almost impossible to screw up. Whereas with Team Canada, when he takes the job, I would assume he probably thought they were going to be 
more guys from the NBA who were going to be available to him. Obviously not the case. Um, and he was kind of, you know, the way I've said it, he was kind of asked to make lemonade out of grapefruits. He didn't really have much to work with if you're trying to compete at the level that this tournament is. And, like, this is a high-level tournament. Giannis is playing for Greece. Nikola Jokic is playing for Serbia. They're MVP candidates all around. They're guys who are seasoned and grizzled dudes from the Euro League. Like, this is not an easy tournament. And with the amount of talent they had, I, I think Nurse was sort of forced his hand into being a little creative today. Um, but overall, what did you think of the way that he went about this game against Lithuania? Well, well first things first, I'll say that, uh, you know, we, we can obviously look at the fact that, you know, 12 NBA players weren't available for Canada and, and say to ourselves, what could have been? Mm-hmm. But I think the task would have been tough regardless of whether or not we had 12 NBA guys. Because, again, it, the group that Canada was placed in, being the group of death. It yeah. wasn't just that Lithuania is a world power and a European power. And it wasn't just that Australia was, you know, seconds away from winning a bronze medal at the last Olympics. It's the fact that these guys have all grown up together. They've been through this process together from the U19s now to the senior level of the program. And, uh, you know, they, they, they know each other. So when they get together, it, it's like, you know, riding a bicycle for mm-hmm. both of these teams. Um, so they don't have that learning curve that Canada would have had regardless if they had the complete roster. So it would have been tough for Nick Nurse to get that bunch ready in six weeks to play uh, both of the Wayne and Australia regardless of you know the talent that he's had. I thought he did a great job uh, in tour in Australia with uh, you know finding out who was able to play certain situations. Um, you know Andrew Nemhard came off the bench and he was just a steady hand. You know he, he, he's uh, a guy that uh, in, in the pre-tournament uh, games was uh, very impressive considering the fact that he was on the cusp of making the NBA this summer, didn't happen, goes back to college, everyone kind of sort of forgets about him. Mm -hmm. This guy is a high-level point guard, and whether or not he makes the NBA, he's going to be a high-level pro, Uh, much like Kevin Pangos is. Kevin Pangos is not in the NBA, but he's playing high-level basketball uh, in the ACB for Barcelona. Um, The problem was, uh, again, the bigs just couldn't match up with the size and the power that you know, Australia and both Lithuania presented, and specifically talking about the Lithuanian game, you talked about the rebound count. It wasn't just that they were getting pounded on the glass by the bigs. The Lithuanian guards were able to rebound uh, and, and grab key rebounds when they were available as well. So mm. those are backbreakers, and those are things that just can't happen. Um, they, you know, when you're when you're undersized and undermatched, and you go small, uh, you, you can't allow the guards now to also out rebound your guards, and and that's definitely what happened uh, in in the game yesterday. And uh, what really led to the big scoreline. Um, so I, I won't blame Nick Nurse completely. Uh, you know, it, it is a, a talent gap, but it's also just the matchup. You know, mm-hmm. styles make fights. And going into this group, it was always going to be the case where, you know, uh, Lithuania and Australia probably had more front firepower up front, even if, you know, Kelly Olinick was able to play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dwight Powell was able to play. Would that talent gap obviously be close? Uh, yeah, of course, we're talking about NBA players here. We're talking about guys that uh, know how to get the job done. Um, you know, not alone. Not only are they seven footers, but they have size. They're able to step outside and you know, knock down jump shots and, and cause problems for uh, a guy like Valanciunas who doesn't really guard in the perimeter. Andrew Bogut, who's probably a little slower in his, in, in his later years. Aaron Baines is not fleet of foot guarding on the perimeter. They didn't have to really worry about that. Uh, you know, playing against Canada in these past two games and. Um, you know, the, the only path that Canada really had uh, for any sort of success was to shoot the three at a high level, and they mm-hmm. didn't do that against Lithuania. You know, knocked down five three pointers in the game, and they only took 13. And I thought when Nick Nurse went small, 
I thought that was the idea. It was going to be, you know what, let's just try and go, you know, Mike D'Antoni style and throw up as many three-pointers as we could, and that wasn't the case here. So um, it, it, it's interesting to see, um, you know, him going small and, and deciding to just continue to play the way they played, uh, you know, throughout the tournament, uh, you know, the pre-tournament games in Australia. Um, I thought they should have shot far more three-pointers than they did mm-hmm. against Lithuania. It didn't work out. Uh, and But I want to I wanna say that the one thing that people are kind of missing, and it was a uh, under-the-radar storyline heading into this tournament, um, was the fact that O'Shea Brissett, who was playing really well, yeah. uh, you know, leading up, gets hurt at the worst possible time. And to me, he would have been so key, uh, especially in these two games. Had they Would they have won the two games? Probably not. It probably would have been the same result. But I think O'Shea Brissett was the one guy that was able to put the ball in the deck and get his own. Kevin Pangos can create for other people. We know Corey Joseph, you know, he, he, when he's asked to score, he can score, and he's proven that in these two games. But outside of that, everybody else kind of needed to be set up. Mm-hmm. O'Shea Brissett is a guy who can catch the ball 10 seconds on a shot clock, look up, regardless of the defender in front of him, and f- at least create for himself. And he was gaining confidence in that role, and it was kind of the rug was kind of pulled out underneath him, and also Canada. And, and there really isn't anybody on the wing that can do that at that level. And uh, that's tough when you're trying to win against teams where you're outmatched, you're oversized, you'd like to get their bigs into foul trouble. Uh, and if you're really not putting them in situations to foul, it, it's tough to do so. So um, I, I really think that O'Shea Brissett leaves the glaring hole for Canada. We could always talk about the NBA stuff, but it, the main part of the team where you, you had a guy that can find his own shot, it just isn't there right now. Um, and they're going to have problems, you know, beyond this game with the roster that they have because they don't have a guy like that on the roster right now. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, that was so notable in watching the game today. Obviously, in thinking you go small, it's a matter of trying to get Valanchunas and Sabonis out into space, as you mentioned, to try to get them into places where they're uncomfortable. You know, Nick Nurse is very well-versed in what Jonas Valanchunas' defensive limitations are from having coached him. And I think that only really works if you have some dynamism on the perimeter to sort of actually put some pressure on those guys and put them under duress a little bit when they are out in space. And as much as Kevin Pangos and Corey Joseph are, you know, should be totally lauded for playing for this team, although we'll get to that sort of maybe tricky partnership in just a sec, but um, they just, they don't have the off the bounce juice. And that was the thing that O'Shea Brissett provided, provided for sure. Brissett also, and this is good news for uh, Raptors fans, considering he's going to be spending most of the season with the 905, I would think, um, you know, the fact that he could do that while also, you know, he would have been like what this third or fourth biggest guy on the team right like just the size yeah. difference was just so notable and you lose Brissett and you lose Olenek the two terribly untimely injuries at the position that you can afford to lose guys least that kills you I thought Nembar too based on what he showed in the pre-tournament games might have offered a little bit of off a little bit of that off the bounce juice as well and that wasn't there and then you're kind of left with you know a good idea in terms of going small to try to create space to exploit but for the most part, the, the, just, the guards weren't able to really, you know, affect that. And 
That brings me to Corey Joseph. And, and so Joseph, I guess there was an injury. It's kind of unclear. Was he hurt? Was he just sort of like taking it easy through the pre-tournament games? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it seems to be kind of mixed reporting on that. But he comes back. He's jet-lagged. You think he got there like 72 hours before the tournament started. And it didn't really seem like the Pangos-Joseph backcourt clicked all that well. It seemed like the chemistry they may have had in the pre-tournament games was lost a little bit. And while you take Corey Joseph on the team 10 times out of 10, it just felt like maybe his late arrival after missing so much time kind of just threw a wrench in that you couldn't really recover from in such a short time frame with the tournament being so quick and rapid fire. Uh, what were your thoughts on the way Corey Joseph fit in? I know he scored 15 today and, and was you know good on the score sheet, but uh, I, I didn't think it was that effective. It seemed to me... And a lot of times it was like Corey Joseph bringing some of the worst of what he brought when he was, say, with the Raptors, where, you know, he was a very excellent second unit guy, but sometimes he would kind of get a little bit too dribble happy and he would sort of pound into the ground a little bit. And that took away, I think, some of the sort of dynamism of, the, of, of Team Canada's offense. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the, the Joseph arrival and the partnership with Pangos and, and how it all played out? I, like you, would always take Corey Joseph on my team, not only just Team Canada, but just in general. You know, any I, I could be playing a rec league, rec league game, and I'm taking Corey Joseph all day, every day, because I think he's just a player that, uh, you know, when you when you put him in any role, he should thrive. And right now, Canada basketball is asking him to be a scorer, and he, he did that yesterday in 15 points and probably should have shot a better percentage, but he was the only one that was really trying to be aggressive scoring-wise, other than Kyle Wilcher. I know Kyle Wilcher had big numbers, but... Uh, you know, a lot of his points was just Kyle Wirtshire being Kyle Wirtshire in, term, in terms of getting hot from three-point range. And uh, when he's hot, he's, he's going to be tough to stop. But, you know, Corey and, and Kevin Pangos in the backcourt and the, the little success that they did have, it was because they, you know, Pangos was able to shoot the ball at a high level mm-hmm. and, and be effective from three-point range. Yesterday, he took one three-point shot. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not what Kevin Pangos does. And, and that three-point shot was kind of a standstill. He walked into a three, and it was early in the shot clock, and uh, you know, it was it was a shot that you would accept, uh, given the fact that Canada wanted to speed it up and try and run a little bit, and eventually, you know, the game got slugged and, and, and slowed down, and that was the only three took. And I think that the arrival of Corey Joseph kind of neutered Kevin Pangos, so to speak, a little bit, because when when Corey Joseph wasn't in Australia, Kevin Pangos felt like he had to score a little bit, and and that actually opened up things for everyone else around him, because now you have to guard Kevin Pangos as a scorer and not just a facilitator. Uh, and he was getting comfortable in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Ken Birch had developed a, a little chemistry in the, in the pick and roll, and you know that's something that just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, that's something that takes time to develop where guys want the ball in certain situations. Uh, I thought Ken Birch, uh, for his credit, was getting used to being able to take that contact and not looking over at the refs every single time he went up for a shot. He was, he was kind of fighting through the contact when he needed to, and you know, finishing at a high level, and that that was adding to Kevin Pangos's game, and that a part of that was Kevin Pangos, you know, finding him in spots to be more effective and be more aggressive with the basketball. And now, when you add Corey Joseph to that mix, everyone kind of takes a step back because they expect Corey Joseph to be more aggressive than everyone else, and um, that hurt the chemistry, no question about it, for the entire team. I wondered when when uh, Corey Joseph, you know, showed up here in uh, in China whether or not Nick Nurse would think about bringing him off the bench and, and letting him be that sixth man. Whether or not he starts and closes games is, is completely different. I would have, you know, for sure had him closing games, but at least to start, um, you know, let him come off the bench, especially seeing as, you know, Pangos and even Nemhard to a certain extent were building a good chemistry in the backcourt. 
Uh, you know, he, he had good chemistry with the Tangos with, with the Scrub Brothers as well. Everybody kind of fell into roles, mm. defined roles when Corey Joseph wasn't there. And now that he is here, uh, it, it kind of sent everybody in, you know, in scramble mode to figure out now what do I do? Uh, and now is not the time to figure that out. You know, the time to figure that out was when they were in Australia. And, and I thought they were closer to figuring that out in Australia than they were uh, with Corey Joseph's arrival. So um, I don't want to say it hurt the team, but it definitely shuffled the deck. Uh, and it hasn't been handled uh, really well. And I don't know if that's the team's fault. I don't know if that's Coach Nurse's fault to figure that out. Uh, he really only had, what, 48 hours to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe, and I said this on, on the fan while I was on with uh, Roger Lajoie, I, I truly believe that, uh, it, you know, the situation with Corey kind of uh, I, I messed Canada up in, in a sense where it, the decision of him, you know, coming came too late for them to really be comfortable with what they were going to do here at the FIBA Basketball World Cup. And by the time he decided and they were, it was confirmed that he was coming, the team was starting to gel, and I thought that that uh, you know would have crushed everybody around the team mentally because they got into the position where they felt finally comfortable in their roles, and then Corey shows up, and now they're they're kind of unsure, and you know they have two more game, three more games at least mm-hmm. uh, to play, and they're going to have to figure it out because uh, you know another loss really does hurt them uh, in their chances of making the Olympics. Yeah, so let's get to that. The the road forward for Team Canada now that they're eliminated from contention for any sort of medal or anything like that or to uh, be, get the auto bid to Tokyo. So the path forward now is they, they have a game against Senegal to close out the group stage uh, on the 5th in the morning, uh, like 3.30 a.m. Eastern time uh, in Canada. And the, the time zones hurt my brain. You're ahead. I, I, I don't know. I know I should know what time, how time zones work. I don't right now. Uh, but it, the night exactly, of the 5th in China. So that is... Yes, exactly 12 hours ahead. Exactly yeah, uh, 12 hours ahead is the easiest way for the East Coasters. Yeah, uh, the West Coast is uh, 15 hours. Yeah, okay. You'd think it'd be easy, but uh, I'm an idiot. So it's not sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with that being said, so they play Senegal on the 5th, and then there will be two classification games. And basically, the way it works is there are the tournaments next summer, the tournaments that, you know, in the past, Team Canada has lost to games to, to like the likes of Venezuela and not made the Olympics. So those fun tournaments that everybody loves. Um, they will, if they finish between 17th and 23rd, because that's their only range of outcomes right now, uh, if they want to be in the 16 teams after the top seven who get auto bids, it's very complex. But between 17 and 23 overall in the tournament, they will get an auto bid to one of those tournaments. If I'm not mistaken, there's still a chance, even if they fall out of that 23rd, to maybe get handpicked as like a, based on their FIBA ranking, although their FIBA ranking is not particularly strong, so maybe you don't want to go that route. Um, Carlin, maybe you can better clear this up. Exactly what does Canada have to do from here to the end of this tournament in order to ensure that they will be playing in one of those qualification tournaments that they will have to win next summer in order to qualify for Tokyo. Yeah, win, win is a simple answer, to be honest with you, because you, as you said, the the ranking that Canada has on the world stage is not good enough to, to be selected into the uh, the qualification process and tournaments. And obviously FIBA has a, a very weird way of, make, of you know choosing these rankings, these world rankings. Canada is not a you know, 24th. Uh, you know, ranked team in the world. That's where they are right now, and um, you know they, they should be higher. But it's based off of past results, uh, and and you know the proof is in the pudding. If guys aren't going to show up uh, to these major tournaments, it's really going to hurt for the future. And 
Um, this is a perfect example of that hurting right now. I you know obviously we, we talk about it all the time. Had there been 12 NBA guys, maybe you know the situation would be, be a little bit different. So the short answer is win, um, and it, it, I, it's not a given. You know Senegal played tough against Australia. They they led at points in the game, and um, they are a long, athletic, lengthy team that's awkward to play. You know they're an African nation team. They're going to get up and down the floor. Probably not going to shoot a high percentage, but they've out-rebounded both Australia and Lithuania in the two games that they played. And, of course, you know, Canada hasn't been world beaters on the glass, so we're already at a disadvantage there if you're talking about from a Canadian perspective. So it's going to be a tough game to get past them. Um, The result of that game, to be honest with you, doesn't matter as much as, uh, as, as it would if you're looking for, you know, Canada to get into the qualification process. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 the, the rule is you have to win, at, you know, at least two games and um, to, to, to give yourself a chance. Uh, but the two games that Canada will have to play beyond this is Germany and, and Jordan. Now, Jordan, a team that Canada on paper should beat. Germany is a team that Canada would be underdogs against uh, or probably even with even with the full roster of NBA guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's shocking that Germany is not going on to the next round uh, with France. Everybody kind of picked uh, you know, Germany and France to move on. Somehow, some way, the Dominican Republic pulled out victories, and, uh, and, and, and they're going instead of Germany. And now um, you know, Canada faces a tough road of, of trying to beat Germany and, and, uh, and Jordan in the next round. Um, and you know, when you have, when you look at Germany's team, Daniel Tice, he's in the NBA, plays for the Boston Celtics. Obviously, everybody knows about Dennis Schroeder, uh, and then Paul Zipser, and, and all the NBA guys. But they also have guys like Robin Benzing, who plays high level in Europe. Uh, it's Kirsten Lowe, who's a, who's a terrific point guard, who we'll see when Canada finally plays them. Uh, and him and Dennis Schroeder have a, a good relationship in the backcourt, give and take. Which uh, you know, it, it, it would be. Uh, nice to see Corey Joseph and Kevin Pangos have that sort of relationship, but they've played together before, uh, Lowe and, and Schroeder. They've played, I, I did Eurobasket with them uh, in 2017, um, and, you know, Kirsten Lowe, who's not an NBA player, plays high level in Germany. Uh, he, he's kind of the perfect guy to sit next to a guy like Jenna Schroeder, who, who you know, could be uh, a little erratic at times and wants to turn the ball over and uh, you know, do things out of his uh, out of his comfort zone. Well, Lowe is that steady hand um, that you know is kind of next to him and, and sort of becomes the adult in the room to Schroeder and uh, kind of calms him down in situations. And, and I think that's going to be tough for Canada to figure out how to guard that. Um, you know, and Schroeder can get his off the bounce at any time. So him and Corey Joseph are going to be an, an interesting matchup to watch. It's it's going to be tough for Canada to beat both Germany. Um, Jordan, I expect them to win, no, to be no doubt. But uh, the German matchup uh, is going to be tough, uh, to, I think, to, for them to to get past, and um, they can't afford to lose that because, like I said, the, the the world ranking that Canada has isn't favorable for them to get into uh, the pre qualification tournaments next year for for the Olympics. So uh, it, it's must win, really, from from here on out, and you you got to hope that uh, the chemistry in the backcourt gets sorted out, and uh, you know that the bigs beyond Kevin Birch comes to play because uh, especially against Senegal it's going to be tough with the way out how athletic and how aggressive they are on the glass oh man <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's not not it's, awesome it's that, it's that I was to be honest with you it's funny because the, the one thing that I do love about you know covering these people events is, is coming to these these kind of uh 
these tournaments and, and, and getting to see the, the staff, the FIBA staff that are from everywhere in the world, every single corner in the world, and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of rooting for their team. It's different than covering the NBA. You know, you meet, you walk around with, you know, for us, for example, in Toronto, everybody kind of knows each other, but, uh, you know, when the visiting team comes in, you really don't have, uh, you know, that banter back and forth. Um, but that's a little bit more, those rules are a little bit more relaxed in, in terms of, openly rooting for your country <laughs> you know in, in uh in, in the FIBA world and uh I, I'm not gonna you know be ashamed to say that I, I'm a Canadian basketball fan no question about it you know I could care less whether or not the Raptors win or lose and, mm-hmm. and you know I that's a team that we I grew up watching um but when it comes to Canada I, I do care you know I, I would like to see the team win on both sides of the ball you know when you talk about the senior men senior women all the way down um, I, I will openly root. And yesterday, watching the game with a lot of the FIBA officials, I'm, I'm in the group, and I'm, I'm in Shanghai. I'm in the group where Team USA is, and mm-hmm. so you could imagine that all the suits, all the FIBA suits, are here, and you know, from all over the world. And uh, watching the game with them, they they sat back and, and looked at me and said, you know, thank goodness we didn't put you on the games down there in Dongguan because <laughs> uh, we don't know whether or not your your commentary would have been uh, would have been subjective. And I, and I honestly look back and said to them well I, this matters to me so yeah um you know i would love to see canada play uh well at the high level and i'll actually get the benefit of seeing them here in shanghai because they, they've uh i'll be doing the classification games for shanghai so i'll see them against germany i'll see them against jordan and i'll try to be objective um but it, it, it the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is the perception of everybody else around the world for what canada is and um you know everyone's always asking why aren't certain guys playing uh, but the guys that are playing, um, you know, from from the people that work for FIBA in Europe, they know about Kevin Pangos, they know about you know Connor Morgan's and everybody else, and they still expect them to play at a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're shocked that they're shocked as most Canadians are, you know, the fact that uh, you know the ranking, the world ranking is what it is. They weren't quite shocked, um, you know, that Australia and Lithuania beat them because, like I said, those are two top ten teams in the world, and uh, the matchup just didn't provide for you know. You know the, the the team that Canada had, but if they go ahead and lose to Senegal and, and you know lose to Jordan or uh, you know falter against Germany, there's going to be a lot of people around FIBA that are going to be shocked that Canada isn't at least you know punching their ticket to one of those four qualifiers next year at the Olympics. I, I can promise you that there's there's just too much talent even beyond the NBA that there's that we shouldn't have this conversation that if Canada is going to be qualifying for the Olympics, Canada should be one of those teams in the world that are always going to be in 12 spots playing for uh for an olympic medal uh going forward that that's what that golden age was supposed to be about and right now it really isn't yeah it just feels like they've been spinning their wheels for like 10 years at this point and the uh, it, i think it probably is very telling you know, the the impression you're getting from people around who are observing canada and being kind of shocked at what's going on because it should not be this challenging for this program and i don't really know where you go to fix it i think you know Doug Smith of the Toronto Star today said that Rowan Barrett probably should not have the job anymore as the GM of Team Canada, and maybe that's true. I mean, yes, he can only control so much over you know what rookies are going to play or what teams are, are levying pressure against guys to not play. It's tough, and you know, a little injury comes up, and guys understandably want to preserve themselves, and that makes sense too. But it feels like more than any other country, Canada's just apathetic towards playing. If you're if you're one of those guys, like. 
think of Marc Gasol right now. He just went to the finals, is 34 years old, and is like so happy to be playing for Spain. Think of Kyle Lowry, who I know was not playing for the States, but was heartbroken when he couldn't, and was going, was trying to come back from surgery as fast as possible to play because he just wants to play for his country. And I know maybe it's just like being next to the States where so many guys have become apathetic towards playing for the, the U.S. Maybe that sort of rubs off on the Canadian guys who are in the NBA as well. I don't know, but... Like there don't really seem to be any obvious answers as to how to fix the participation issue because that that's going to be the way forward. If they're going to qualify for the Olympics, if they get into a qualifier tournament next year, they're not going to have any success if they don't get the guys. Like they're going to need the Brandon Clarks and Nikhil Alexander Walkers and the, the all the all the main guys too. Jamal Murray, Tristan Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, if he wants to do it. Like those are the guys who will turn this program around. There's only so much, and it sucks because. I feel like the guys who are playing for Team Canada right now are receiving like sort of unfair scorn. And yes, they haven't played well, but also it's kind of an untenable situation they've been presented to presented with. And I feel bad for them because really they're, they're, they were thrown into a situation where they're overmatched in a tough group and they never really had, had a chance on paper. And so I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how, because there's going to be new problems that arise. If, if say next summer, everyone wants in all you get 12 NBA guys how do you tell the guys who went to the World Cup this summer, sorry, you can't be on the Olympic team? Like, that's another problem, too. It's just the, the culture of just not playing has kind of bled into this issue where there's just going to be, I think, hurt feelings and some animosity. And then ultimately, that second layer of talent that has gotten Canada to this point where they qualify for the World Cup, even though the tournaments were largely during the NBA season. And you come to this tournament and the NBA guys don't play, but you still can feel the pretty respectable team, you know, comparatively. It, you know, if you start to alienate those guys by in the big years inviting and, and accepting the NBA guys, that creates a whole new level of sort of animosity and weirdness within the program. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the way forward is. Like, what do you think is like? I, I, maybe you have more answers than I do, Carlin. I, I don't really have any myself. Is there someone who you think is sort of to blame? Is it Rowan Barrett? Is it something else? Like. Or is it something that maybe we just have to accept is just going to be the standard with Canadian guys where it's just not a priority to play for the national team? Well, I'll start with the, uh, I guess, just the, before we get to Rowan, uh, I'll start with just the, the the fact that, you know, FIBA's kind of changed the way that, you know, the national team has to be looked at now. Yeah. Because you mentioned there's going to be, qual- you know, qualification process for this World Cup and for the Olympics during the NBA season where a lot of NBA guys aren't going to be available and that really affects teams uh, like a Slovenia for example who went out and won a Eurobasket led by Luka Doncic and uh, you know Goran Dragic and then there's a big drop off after that in terms of their talent level um, on, on the high stage and they didn't qualify for this World Cup because of Mm-hmm. Um, so you have countries like that that are affected uh, in, in a major way because their best guys or their best player um, is playing in the NBA at the time where you're qualifying for for these two major tournaments, and uh, that's where Canada actually should benefit because you know the team that is here at the World Cup. When you look at it, that should be the team that's qualifying for these major tournaments, um, and it, it, that's it, it, a benefit to Canada because their their talent pool is so deep. I think 33, 34 players help the team qualify for this World Cup. Not many countries can go out and say that, that mm-hmm. they can find 34 players to play at a national level um, good enough where you know, they're, they're going to be in the rotation and play at a high level without NBA players. Um, so that's that should be a benefit to Canada to always be able to qualify for these tournaments. And that's 
kind of what the golden era is. Is beyond the NBA. We have talent all across the world, no question about it. Um, so, so that should be a positive for Canada. The problem is, is that now uh, you kind of take away the, the thrills for some of those guys who do the hard yards and then hand off the baton to the, you know the stars who are really going to get all the credit in the World Cups and the Olympics uh, when they decide to play. That's a problem for Canada and also really a problem for the United States. This team that's here for the United States in the World Cup probably is not going to be the team that's at the Olympics. You know, it, it, it's going to be the big-name players for the U.S. that are going to want to show up to Tokyo next summer and, and win the gold medal, and you're going to say to yourself, well, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, uh, you know, Kemba Walker is over, are over here busting their tail to try and get the U.S. to qualify for this Olympics because you have to be at the World Cup to be able to qualify for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, you name, you know, the, the all-stars of all-stars are going to show up and win the gold medal. So it, it not only Canada's facing that problem, it is the United States as well. Uh, obviously, their talent pool is a little deeper than, you know, Canada's, but uh, it, it is what it is. So I, I think that's a problem for every single country. Um, in terms of Rowan Barrett, I think he got handed uh, a tough job this summer. Um, mm-hmm. This is the first time where this team is his. You know, all the decisions are being made through him. Before that, it was, you know, Rowan and Steve. Now everything is falling under Rowan Barrett. You know, whether, whether they win, lose, or draw, it is Rowan Barrett's fault. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of the Raptors' fault in the sense where the Raptors go out and win the championship and all of a sudden Canada, you know, basketball is the darling of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the momentum from that was supposed to carry over to this tournament uh, and, and really sort of cement Canada as a power in the world when it comes to basketball. Well, the Raptors do their part. They go out and get everyone's attention. And then slowly, uh, as we go through the summer, um, it, it became apathy, apathy for the Canadian basketball fan because you're expecting to have yeah, the most talented roster ever at a world championship or an Olympic for Canada. And we have a very pedestrian roster and no disrespect to the guys that are here and that have made themselves available. Um, they're just not on the same talent level as, you know, having, uh, you know, the Andrew Wiggins of the world, Jamal Murray's, if he, if he was able to be here and uh, even, you know, RJ Barrett. So uh, if you're a Canadian basketball fan, you're kind of looking at it disappointed even before the tournament started. Uh, this, these two games, the way that they've shaken down, it, they, Canada wasn't close in terms of trying to beat uh, Lithuania and Australia. So, it, you know, that crushes you a little bit more. The fact that you have to wake up at three in the morning if you're on the East Coast to just watch the game in the first place kind of, you know, puts you at a cause for pause. So then now as a fan base and as a country, there's a little bit of apathy towards the World Cup. And if you're a player, you want people to care about the national team program. Uh, I think the one thing is Rome Bear is going to have to find a guy uh, and maybe it's his son, maybe it's R.J. Barrett, but he's going to have to find a guy who says to the rest of the NBA players that, hey, we all need to play, we all need to buy in. Um, you know, I think it was Kelly Olenek. Uh, Kelly Olenek was that guy where uh, no matter what, he was always going to be um, you know, wanting to play for his country. And I think winning an NBA championship goes hand-in-hand hand with you know, his goal of winning a gold medal for Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that to me all season long. I've, uh, I live in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, so... Being there, uh, I get to see the, the Heat, you know, a, a few times a year because they're in the division. Um, and, and every time I talked to him about it, he was excited about playing for the national team. And he was locked in. He was one of the few guys that was locked in on what Canada was doing, uh, you know, in those qualifying games to get to the World Cup. Uh, you know, Dwight Powell, same thing. He was locked in on that. And then uh, all of a sudden, things have changed, uh, you know, over this summer. Uh, and I don't know if it's the Rowan Baird situation, the, the communication there. I think he's done a good job at 
at getting guys to, I guess, show up to these ID camps, but he now has to get them over the line and play uh, at the tournament. Um, so it is going to fall on him now, and I think that's the pressure he wants, to be honest with you. I, I don't think he wanted to really share the spotlight, or uh, no one really wants to share the spotlight with anybody. And, um, you know, Steve allowed him to now be the guy to make the decisions, and he's going to have to face his music because he's getting crushed right now, and, you know, and, and, and rightfully so because. Uh, you know, it, when you have the talent pool that we have in Canada, to not be able to at least get to the second round of a major tournament when teams like the Dominican Republic are doing so, and this is just in the Americas, uh, Venezuela has a chance to do so, Brazil, who are playing, you know, you know, Barbosa, uh, Anderson Verjao, uh, those guys are playing on the uh, Brazilian team, and in the crowd, their grand, you know, their grandkids are watching them play. That's how old these guys are. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is a old. Brazilian team, and they're still finding a way to get to uh, you know the second round. And Canada can't do that. You, you have to look at not just what Canada's doing on the world stage, but how, you, you have to be nervous with what's around them. You know, the U.S. is always going to be the number one team in the Americas, no question about it. Uh, but Canada should be that second team. They should be better than Argentina. They should be better than Brazil. They should be better than the Dominican Republic. And right now, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. That, it, that it's not there and you, you can say well well the NBA guys aren't there well that doesn't matter um, you know they, they still have to get it done uh, as a program and that's what you're judged at by and uh, Rowan Barrett's going to have a long 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 you know fall winter and spring um, you know trying to go through and figure out how he can get you know the best talent to play for the senior men's national team he's done it on the women's side you know and, um, the women have a good program and, and the best players tend to show up there we now have to figure it out on the men's side and and, uh, and really start to make it a point to uh, to just the players, uh, you know, the top talented players that they should want to play for the national team and go out of their way to play for the national team like Kyle Lowry does, like like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, you know, went through a, a grueling season, has decided to do for Greece, and uh, as you mentioned, Marcus Gasol, and, and the list goes on and on. Um, so it, it is a... It, it is a uh, uh, a question that we should be asking in Canada. I, I, I'm not ready to say that Rowan Barrett should lose his job. He pretty much just caught it. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna, willing to give him some time, uh, but we need to start seeing results. And uh, unfortunately for Rowan, th- that window's kind of sped up with the Raptors winning the championship, even though it has nothing to do with Canada basketball, but it's opened the eyes for the Canadian fan to say, we've seen an NBA championship that probably most of us thought we would never see. Now it's time to see an Olympic gold medal. Uh, and, and the pressure's on on him to, to make that happen. Yeah, it's all very fascinating. It is going to be a challenge to market the program to players and, and sort of say, hey, like this is something you should want to do and this should be something we pass down the way Argentina and Spain and all those countries have. Uh, but we'll see. It's, uh, it's a long time to those qualification tournaments, but we will keep you posted throughout the rest of this tournament as they get those classification games underway. Maybe we'll catch up with you again, Carlin, uh, over the course of the next couple yeah, of weeks here as free. it all goes down. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today, by the way. Where can people check you out uh, over the next couple of weeks here? What games are you going to be calling? Well, I have, uh, I'm in the group with Team USA at the moment. So uh, yesterday, uh, you know, the thrilling game between them and Turkey, and I'm, I'm, I'm barely, you know, alive right now after becoming a mile calling that game, that overtime thriller. So uh, I have one more game in the Group E stage, and then I get Canada. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not happy about it. Uh, <laughs> I should be happier, but uh, them being in the classification games puts them here in Shanghai with me. Um, but I'll, I'll be able to see them play Germany and Jordan. 
uh, like I said, those are must-win games for them to at least sniff uh, the, the World Cup, you know, uh, qualifiers, sorry, the Olympic qualifiers next summer. So everyone will hear my voice uh, back home in Canada on the zone for those games. Um, and then beyond that, I'll be calling the, uh, the, the uh, quarterfinals here in Shanghai as well. Um, so I'm calling games all the way up until the semis, and then I hand it over to uh, the great Jeff Taylor, who's uh, uh, the voice of FIBA, been calling it for years. I think he's, in, yeah, I think he even called uh, the '94 World Cup in Toronto as well. He's <laughs> he's just you know an awesome guy, uh, and, and and most highlights that you see uh, FIBA basketball related when there's a big moment, it's his voice that beams through. He's just a great guy. Him and Josh Davis will be calling those, um, and then beyond that, it's it's you know after that, it's, it's back home. And it's, you know, getting 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 ready to go for the NBA season. NBA.com will uh, will have you uh, covered from a Canadian perspective. I know you guys do a great job covering the Raptors, but we try our best to, and you do a great job covering Canadian basketball in general. But we try our best to add to that. Um, I always tell people that we're spoiled for choice in Canada when you look at journalists covering the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, you live in any other city in the states, maybe other than New York and LA. There's not the quality of journalists that cover one team like there is in Canada. And I know people want to complain. It's easy as Canadians to complain. There's not enough basketball coverage on TV, this, that, and the third. Well, we have quality journalists. I can name them all. And, you know, you know, Lundberg, yourself, uh, Blake Murphy, you know, Michael Grange. You mentioned Doug Smith, the, the legend, uh, Laura Ewing. The list goes on and on. Um, and they don't need to just cover the team, you know, from top to bottom. They're covering Canadian basketball as much as they can as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if you're a Canadian basketball fan and you're listening to this, please believe me when I say to you, you are spoiled for choice <laughs> to have that many people cover the one team at such a high level. Uh, you really are. Because uh, living in Charlotte, North Carolina now, like I do, um, you know, other than Rick Bonnell and, and, a, and a couple local TV guys and uh, one writer from The Athletic, that's it. That's it. That, that covers the Charlotte Hornets, you know, and um, that kind of gets lost in the sauce. It, that being, uh, you would think Charlotte and North Carolina State is a basketball, you know, the hotbed. Well, they're they are a basketball hotbed, but they're definitely not a Hornets hotbed. Um, you know, Duke and North Carolina and NC State and Wake Forest get a lot more coverage than the Hornets do, and you know, the Panthers take over that town way more than the Hornets do. So. Um, we are spoiled for choice in Canada. I know we complain about you know, the hockey coverage that we get and, 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 and how over the top that is at some points, but uh, we're absolutely spoiled for choice with uh, not only the people that cover the games, people that call the games, um, the podcasts that we have, the guys over at Yahoo are doing a great job as well. So I, uh, I, I, I'm just being a part of that um, for NBA.com is, uh, is a privilege and uh, you know I'm lucky to be a part of the team that we have and that's where you can find most of our work, and we'll try our best to uh, to keep that bar nice and high for uh, for fans all across the country to to continue to you know take in this beautiful game that we call uh, we call basketball. Awesome, man! You did a great job on the USA game today. Uh, I would uh, implore you to check out more of Carlin's games. You can find him at the Carlin Gay on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe, rate, review to this podcast: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is, get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated when you do that. And uh, that's going to do it for today. I'm going to come back tomorrow with a mailbag episode. Uh, so get your questions in on Twitter if you have not yet done so. And then uh, later in the week, Katie Heindel is going to join me. We're going to do a recap of summer vacation uh, from a Raptors perspective. It should be a lot of fun later in the week. Uh, all right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Carlin, thank you for coming on the show. And we will talk to you all with another episode of Locked on Raptors tomorrow. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. 
Download the Amazon Music app today.